welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. The Barna Group is a highly respected research group, and in 2017, 2017, they conducted a survey to try and assess the state of Christianity in America. They selected 76,000 people. They pulled them from all around the country, different parts of the country, and over a seven-year period, they asked these 76,000 people a series of questions, things like uh, related to their belief in God, the relevance of their faith, if they had any, in everyday Christian or everyday life, the degree to which they interact with the Bible, the extent to which they are involved in church in any sort of regular basis, and so on. Here's a summary of what they found, and I quote, It may come as no surprise, you can see this on the screen, it may come as no surprise that the influence of Christianity in the United States is waning. Rates of church attendance, religious affiliation, belief in God, prayer, and Bible reading have all been dropping for decades. By consequence, the role of religion in public life has been slowly diminishing And the church no longer functions with the cultural authority it held in times past. These are unique days for the church in America as it learns what it means to flourish in a new post-Christian era. Let me try to make that as simple as I can. And while I'm not a fan of sports analogies, I'm going to employ one for this point here. Christianity was once in the starting lineup of American life and values, but according to this Barna group, it now sits at the end of the bench and hardly ever gets into the game. And I want to suggest to us today that this rather sobering comment from the Barna group, the gist of which is reiterated and has been reiterated over and over again by those who study these things, has extreme relevance for every follower of Jesus Christ and profoundly shapes how followers of Jesus are to live and interact in everyday life. How we are to interact with religiously disinterested people who increasingly are everywhere in our daily lives. And the reason this has such impact on Christians is because followers of Jesus, as we know, are to be his salt and his light in this world. Matthew chapter 5, or if you want, Matthew chapter 28. The Great Commission commands each one of us who is a follower of Christ to go and make disciples of all nations. Acts 1 and verse 8, just before Jesus ascends and returns to his Father, he says the disciples are to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, around the bend of the Mediterranean Sea, all the way to Rome, and from there on to the ends of the earth. This is the plan. Or to say it more specifically, we are the plan. God accomplishes his redemptive purposes in the world as his spirit works through you and through me. You see, Jesus cares about people who don't care about him. He loves those who don't even like him. And so as his followers, as we walk in his steps, we are to care about and love those who don't care about or love God. 
Now, around here, we call this living on mission. Living with our eyes and ears open to what God is doing in the circumstances and places and relationships of our lives. Loving and caring for those who don't love or care for God. And increasingly, as Barna suggests, those who don't care about God or are interested in following him, that group is rapidly increasing in our culture, which means you and I are around folks like this on a regular basis. As Dave mentioned today, we're starting a brand new series that will take us to Christmas called Home for the Holidays. And the goal of this series is to continue and advance this living on mission initiative that we have talked about so many times here over the past several years. Jesus put on human flesh to show us who God is and to show us what life with him and in him is genuinely about. And for 2,000 years, Jesus has sent out his followers to show the world who God is and what life with him and in him is all about. He sent out his disciples, his church, you and me, to be an alternative community where God is king and where we as brothers and sisters learn how to live together in mutual submission to one another under the kingship of Jesus Christ. See, followers of Jesus have signed up to be his hands and feet and heart in this world. So you and I, we are to manifest his presence and his character in the places where we live, work, shop, play, and attend school. And over the next several weeks, we want to take missional action in those places. Note the language. It's very intentional. Missional action in those places. I will tell you, confession, I'm tired of talking about this. I'm tired of describing this. And I am especially tired of hearing my droning voice talk about it without me actually doing it. So we want to take missional action over the next two months. These things Dave was talking about in the announcements, this Christmas festival, this neighborhood tree lighting, and other things that we'll talk about in a moment, these are part of what we're seeking to do to make some moves missionally and see how God might open up spaces in our lives with those who don't know him currently and see how the kingdom might break out in those contexts. So to get into this, I'd like you to think about your neighbors, those or the people you live near. I'd like you to think about your coworkers. Think about the people you attend school with. Think about the people that you interact with and hang out with in some recreational thing you like to do or that you interact with or hang out with as your children are involved in this or that activity. For a rapidly growing number of people in those places, God is not a meaningful part of their lives. But you and I are in a place where we have regular contact and interaction with these people, maybe, just maybe, because God has put us there. So it is, in fact, our business as his people to cooperate with God's spirit and do our part to help some of these folks 
find him. Not to cram him down their throat or whack them upside the head with a big leather Bible. Not that at all. But to manifest his love and his goodness to pray for them as we interact with them, to ask the Spirit of God to open up a space where these people he loves can see God and experience him through our love and through our words and through our actions. So let's talk first about the fact that place matters. Our homes, which is a major focus in this series. Where you live The people around you, your neighborhood, this is a major focus of this series. But our homes, our backyards, our neighborhoods, in addition, our workplaces, our schools, our extracurricular places. These places matter because when we are in these places with our eyes and ears open to the spirit of God, God's kingdom, believe it or not, can break in and we get the thrill of being part of it. Throughout the Bible, we find stories of God at work in various spaces and places of one's life. Wherever one is, God's Spirit is present. Wherever you are, God's Spirit is present. And His Spirit is always at work drawing people to Himself. So a few examples. Abraham is called by God to leave his homeland, Genesis 12, and go to a new place, a new land that God would eventually show him. And there, Genesis 12 says, Abraham would grow and become a great nation, the nation eventually of Israel. And here's the phrase, and all peoples on earth would be blessed through this nation. Joseph was a forced slave in the house of his Egyptian master. Not a place he wanted to be. Significant point. He was in a place he didn't want to be in. But Genesis 39 says God was with him even in that undesirable place. And good things happened in and through Joseph. Later, he was unjustly imprisoned. Another not so great place to be. But again, we read that God was with him in prison. God showed kindness to him. We're told God granted his favor on Joseph. And he used Joseph in that place where Joseph didn't want to be. God used Joseph to bring forth his redemptive purposes. The mountain where Moses did his job as a shepherd was a place where God was present and God met Moses there and inspired the mission to free the Israelites from their captivity in Egypt. Much of the early part of the Old Testament records the arduous quest of the Israelites and here's the word, to settle in their own place what we call the promised land. So they could there in the promised land as a community, an alternative community, so they could manifest the presence and power of God and fulfill what Genesis 12 says through their interactions with each other as they lived in submission to each other and to God, they would then bless the rest of the world. They would show the world who God is and what life in him was all about. Place matters. Where one is matters. Where one is, God is, and he's up to something in that place. At times in Israel's history, they were exiles in distant lands, strangers, in other words, in foreign countries, exiles in Egypt, exiles in Assyria, 
exiles in Babylon. And our scripture reading from Jeremiah 29 was a letter written to a group of Jewish people who were living way far away, hundreds and hundreds of miles away, exiled in the country of Babylon. So hear this clearly. The le- this letter is written to people who were not in a place they wanted to be. They were in a place they didn't like. Now, for Jewish people, the center of the universe was the city of Jerusalem. It was God's city. His temple was there. His presence was there. His work in the world, so it was thought, was headquartered there. Jerusalem was it. And so the Jews believed that God would always protect the city of Jerusalem and never let it fall because that's how important it was. But in 586 B.C., the Babylonians came crashing into the city of Jerusalem and they obliterated it. The temple was destroyed, thousands were killed, and many who survived this onslaught were forced out of Jerusalem and forced to hike hundreds of miles to Babylon to live there in exile, far from home, far from their beloved Jerusalem, and at least, they thought, far from the presence of God. Their place and their circumstances changed in undesirable ways. So imagine the questions swirling in their minds. Where is God in all this? Hey, has he abandoned us? What's going on here? How could this happen? Is the world unraveling? Is everything falling apart? Is God still God? Does he even exist? Does he have any power to do anything about what's happening? We may be asking questions just like this these days. Barna showed us, Barna told us, we've all experienced this in our own uh, lives, that the culture is on a fast track away from God and away from the church. Religion is increasingly a relic of the past, nice to look at, but let's be honest, irrelevant in today's modern world. COVID has put unrelenting pressures on the soul of our culture and chaos and anger and division just abound in every direction. And where is God? What's the plan here? Is the world falling apart? Is the world unraveling? The people exiled in Babylon were clinging to the words of some false prophets who kept telling them, hey, you're only going to be there two years and then God's going to fix everything and bring you back to Jerusalem and you'll live happily ever after. Camelot will be restored. It's all going to get better exactly the way you want it. You lost it. Now you're going to get it back exactly the way you want it, and it's only going to take two years. The problem was these prophets were lying. The problem was these prophets weren't prophets. What they were doing is they were saying what the people in exile wanted to hear. So a real prophet named Jeremiah comes along, writes a letter to the people living in exile where they didn't want to be, and he says, this is what God is saying to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is what God is saying to all those I carried, God says, into exile. I've brought you into this strange place where you don't want to be. And here's what he says, build houses and settle. There's that word again, settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which 
I, God, have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for your city, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And if you go on through all this, it wasn't two years, it was 70 years. They were to live in this place. They were not going back. Some of them would never go back. They would die in exile in this new place. This is remarkable wisdom for us right now as we live in an increasingly post-Christian culture that is being battered and bruised by COVID and all sorts of other fractures and divisions happening all around us. Here's God's word to us as we're in this place. Settle down and live. Be the people of God. Right smack where you are. So wherever you are, especially if you are somewhere you don't want to be, be there. Enter into there. Why? Because God is there. And he has put you there in part to be his hands and his feet and his heart right in that place, even if you don't want to be in that place. So yes, the culture's on a fast track away from God and away from the church. Religion is a relic of the past. Christianity is increasingly being pushed to the fringes of society. We may feel the loss of power and the loss of importance. Season all this with some COVID pressure. Notice all the chaos and anger and division in every direction. And when we add all this up, if we were trying to find words for it, we might say it feels like we're living in exile. We are not where we want to be. When are we going to go back to being at the center of it all? Here's the answer. Probably never. And here's the other part of the answer. It is not good historically or biblically for Christians or the Christianity to be at the center of things. We do our best when we're on the margin because that's when we actually, as we sang a moment ago, need Jesus to show up and do something supernatural. Maybe it feels a bit like exile. We are not where we want to be. The wisdom of scripture says this, be where you are, settle, and keep your eyes and your ears open because Jesus is still king, God is still in charge, and he has kingdom purposes right where you are. Secondly, let's talk about restless presence. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry and have kids, and seek the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to God for its prosperity because if it prospers, you too will prosper. In short, live. Be where you are. Care about your workplace, your neighborhood, your city. God is with you. And he wants his work to go forth from you right where you are. But here's the thing. It seems to me We spend a lot of time and focus in our lives anticipating what's next, what's coming up. Or we focus on what's not right about the place where we currently are. So instead of settling where we currently are, we often live several steps ahead of where we are. We quietly, or sometimes not so quietly, complain about where we are, complain about our present place. And we daydream about a future when we will finally, supposedly, be able to settle. 
But that future never seems to come. The right job, the right house, the right city, the right church, the right neighborhood, the right situation, the right place never seems to come. So we have this restless presence about us. I mentioned last week that I recently traveled to the Midwest and on the way home, both of my flights were delayed and all I thought about the entire trip was getting home. I couldn't wait to get out of my window seat, off the planes, out of the airports, into the car and home. And all throughout the traveling process, I was agitated. I was restless throughout the trip. I was not present to what was actually happening. I was living in the future instead of living in the present. And at one point, they pulled my backpack out of the security line and I had to wait for them to go through it. And as I was waiting, the agitation was just going through the roof. I was doing my typical back stretching thing. You've seen me do this, you know, I get in the back and I'm doing this and all this kind of thing. And right in the middle of one of these back stretches, a TSA employee walked over and happily said to me, so how are we doing? What's going on? I think they thought I had like whoosh, kind of a weapon or something. And I just mentioned, well, my back's not too good, so I just am stretching it. And at that moment, with no hesitation, this woman launched into a loving and caring encouragement about how God was going to heal my back and that I could trust him to actually do this. And she was filled with joy, filled with hope. She raised her hand to me and she prayed for me right there at airport security. And as I, right as I was standing there, this was the weird thing. She's full of joy. She's present in the moment. She's engaged, caring for me. And all I'm thinking about is, I want to get home. I hate this. I don't want to be here. And all of a sudden it hit me. Here's this person. As I'm having a pity party, she was present in that space. I was restless. She was faithful. And after she prayed, she walked away and continued to do her job. I'd suggest to you she was settled where she was and awake to what was happening around her, alert to what God was doing around her. Her place, one of them, was the security checkpoint at the airport. And she was fully present in that place while I was restless. Think of the restless ways we approach our jobs, our school, our circumstances, so often focused on what's not right about those situations, what they should be like. Complaining about the present, as you well know, pulls us out of the present and into a pretend and fairy tale future that experience tells us will never actually arrive. But we keep doing the same thing over and over. The future pulls us out of the present, thinking this fairy tale is going to get here, but the fairy tale never comes. Think of the restless ways we approach our homes, the places where we live. Instead of settling into them, that word again, and settling into our neighborhoods with questions like, what is God doing here? Why has he put us or me in this particular home, on this particular street, in this particular neighborhood? Where does God's kingdom want to break out 
through the home he has given to us in this neighborhood where he has put us. Instead of that, we get sidetracked by the fixes needed in our house. Well, if only this, then we could live like that. If only that was taken care of, then we could do this. We get smitten by an unrealistic future that will be swallowed whole by the time it becomes the present, and we all know this. We've lived in our house for 23 years in the city of Folsom. Some of that time, we've been like the TSA lady. We've been present in that place, present in the neighborhood. Some of that time, we have lived with an awareness of God's hand in bringing us into that space. Sometimes we have lived with an awareness of what God is doing in our neighborhood. Sometimes we have lived as though God has entrusted us with this home in this neighborhood. And we've entered into the adventure. Other times our home has been ours. It's been a fortress behind which we hide and lock down. And I got to tell you, I like it that way. I like to go there, shut the door, and hide, and be away. I hope my neighbors are doing well, and I hope someone helps them. <laughs> if only this, if only that, then we would have homes held before us as, God, you've given us this. How can we use it for you? That's too much work. I mean, I need my space. I've earned my space. I mean, look at all these people that I interact with all the time. I don't need more neighbors. I don't need another friend. I need my space. Door shut. Door locked. Garage down. Like tonight. We're not here. Don't come trick-or-treating. I'm kidding. Not. I'm sort of kidding. But you know what happens slowly? I've seen this in our spot. Slowly our home is no longer a gift from God to do his work in this world. Our home is just our home. What would happen if those of us who are followers of Jesus simply chose to embrace where we were, we settled into our job, our school, our home, our neighborhood, our city, We lived as though God put us where we are and surrounded us with people who do not know him. And he was actually at work in the lives of those people, drawing them to himself. And he was inviting us to join his spirit in what he's doing. Can you imagine that? What would happen in us and through us and in our places if we embraced the places of our lives as gifts from God, as places of mission, and we settled into them and trusted God was up to something in those places? And mind you, be clear on this. This has nothing to do with what's happening on this campus. That is, this is not to then go, okay, get them over here. That's not what we're talking about. We are talking about you and I living in communities away from here, being outposts, if you will, of the kingdom of God, demonstrating an alternative community in the places we already are in and doing so with eyes and ears open to what the spirit of God is up to. And we let the kingdom break out there and we let God do what he will do. So lastly, let's talk about faithful presence. The great writer, thinker, pastor A.W. Tozier 
wrote this, the presence of God is the central fact of Christianity. The presence of God is the central fact of Christianity. At the heart of the Christian message is God himself waiting for his redeemed children to push into conscious awareness of his presence. Think about that phrase, living with conscious awareness of his presence. That seems like it might be a key to recognize the power of a given place, home, school, work, to become a space where the kingdom breaks in. God wanted his people to be a faithful presence in Babylon. They were to live and work and raise their families as a manifestation of God's goodness. They were to be salt and light right there, right where they were. See, we settle into this post-Christian culture by being a faithful presence to the reality of Christ and to the reality of his kingdom. Right where we are. A faithful presence that demonstrates the goodness and shalom of God's kingdom. One of my favorite thinkers on this, David Fitch, puts it this way. It's on the screen. Faithful presence names the reality that God is present in the world and that he uses a people faithful to his presence to make himself concrete and real amid the world's struggles and pain. When the church is this faithful presence, God's kingdom becomes visible and the world is invited to join with God. Faithful presence is not only essential for our lives as Christians, it is how God has chosen to change the world. And that has everything to do with you if you're his follower and with me if I'm his follower. Living on mission in our jobs, schools, neighborhoods, being where we are with confidence, God has put us there to demonstrate the reality of his goodness. So faithful presence is very different from fix. Faithful presence is very different from convince. Faithful presence is very different than fighting, arguing, winning. Faithful presence is about being in a place and actually being there with eyes and ears open. The TSA woman. Embrace where we are in the confidence that the Spirit of God is present and He's doing something and we are invited to join Him. Well, throughout this series, we are going to do our best to have stories of people who are seeking to live this out in their places. So, would you give a welcome to Rachel Padroni as she comes to share a bit? Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I always fall into that. Rachel Barkey, my bad. Um, Almost Barkey as bad. Padroni, same thing. Is Dave wearing a Broncos jersey? So I apologize. <laughs> I knew Rachel when she was. I don't think you could speak when I met you. Three-ish. Three? Yeah. Can you speak when you're three? I mean, my two-year-old is yeah, quite speak. articulate. That's true. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, Rachel Barkey. So, we had Rachel up. It was about a year ago, I think. Um, everything we talk about today, the place, neighborhood, all this. Rachel has been in a story unfolding in her neighborhood, seeking to be faithfully present to God and to others. So, Kind of give a brief, quick summary of what's been going on in your neighborhood. Um, so over the past year, uh, my husband and I moved to our neighborhood a few years ago now. Um, and pretty soon after, we felt a lot of tension and animosity on our street. And we live on a little private drive. Um, 
and there we called it last time we talked um, the dirt side of the private drive and the paved side. Um, and after we moved there, I have little, little kids, and so we would walk the street, and it became quickly apparent that there was unrest on our street. Um, and so I started asking questions last fall um, about how do I enter this? Um, how can I be an agent of Shalom in this space and kind of sought after some good friends and mentors to help me form what that looked like. So um, it ended in a prayer wall that I had up all um, season of last Advent. And so I put a prayer wall, a very large one, in my front yard um, and invited my neighbors, wrote a little note, had my kids deliver it best way to have any delivery system, by the way, Um, wrote a note to our neighbors and just invited the community to engage with me in it. So I just make this point. I hope, hopefully you got that. The tension and unrest in Rachel's neighborhood and in Stephen's neighborhood, they saw as their business because they are seeking to follow Christ. That's a really significant thing. So the journey continues, right? Yeah. There's still a dirt road. Or There's dirt, still dirt right? paved roads. Tension. There's still a gate that separates them. Um, my walks are a little less often. Life happens. Um, but we do walk, and I am intentional. There's been some turnover of neighbors. A couple have passed away. Um, and so I'm just trying to stay present in that space. Yeah. So, um Part of what I mentioned at the beginning and throughout, we're going to hope to take missional action in this series, not just think and talk about it. So talk about what your idea was, what you're trying to do in your neighborhood, and then I'll kind of turn it over to what we're asking people to participate in. Yeah. Um, So I realized that my prayer wall, I'm I'm pretty creative and an extremist. And so there's no neat way for me to package a prayer wall to every person and invite them to put that in their front uh, yard. Um, And so I started having this dream about what would it look like for our whole community um, to be able to engage in something like this together. Um, How do we start that? Where does it go? What kind of information do we need to give? Um, because it's not a particularly natural, I'm not normal. I'm kind of weird, but that's okay. (laughs) Um, but it's not supernatural to want to be out, um, in our culture. Now, a lot of us go and use our house as a fortress. And, um, so what would it look like? And so I started dreaming about that with Mike and we kind of formed a little thing. A little plan. So this is the plan. We are asking you to join with Rachel, to join with us as we seek to do this exercise over the next three weeks or so. It's really simple. And what I, if I botch it, fix what I botch. I brought it for you. Go f- you brought it for me? Why don't you explain it? Ah, darn it. How did I knew that was going to happen? All right. So we have a lovely handout. It's also on our app and on our website if you didn't want a and it's in copy. Lobby. And it's also in the lobby. Um, so if you wanted to grab your own copy, you can, but it's a three week process, um, that I've kind of been prepping our youth to help 
initiate. Um, so we have three steps. Um, enter, listen, and engage. So this coming week, starting the first week of November, we're going to take a few minutes to just enter the space of your neighborhood or community. Um, so there's little instructions. Um, it's really, really simple. There's a little breath prayer and other resources that are on the bottom of the sheet for you to utilize. But we're really just asking you to be in the front of your house and um, just open your heart up to what God has for you there. So maybe, maybe, maybe a chair out front, mm -hmm. in front of your house. You sit there for a few minutes each day. Is that the idea? Exactly. Just sitting in that space with God in your neighborhood, in front of your house, no other agenda, just being there, okay? Yep. Five, ten minutes. Um, week two is listening. So now I want you to take a walk. Um, we are starting to turn our heart toward what is happening in our neighborhood, noticing um, the families that are on our street, what they might need, um, praying for God to really come and show you um, the vision he has for your street and your neighbors. And it's, again, a 10-minute walk up and down your street um, quietly. I encourage you to be unplugged um, because that means if it gets beautifully interrupted that that is okay. Um, and, yeah, so there's so a headphones for, with a hoodie over the head. Probably, probably not. Not a good idea. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then the last one is engage. So we've done some work. We've opened our heart up to our community. We've taken a walk and kind of noticed and asked God to enter into that space and show us the people that might um, need us. And so the last part is engage. Um, so maybe there's a really busy family that has a hard time getting their trashes in and out on time. Maybe you bring their trash in and leave a note like, hey, we noticed that you're really busy. We would love to take your trash in and out this week or in the next month. Um, or maybe it's at your work, um, bringing an extra lunch for someone or for my youth. Um, maybe it's a classmate that always forgets their pencil or their paper. Um, it doesn't have to be big or grand, just um, led by the spirit. Good. That's beautiful. So real simple stuff. There's, there's handouts out on the... Uh, community booth right in the middle. Th this thing is on your app. It's on the website. You can find it. We are encouraging everybody to participate in this. It's really simple. And what we're trusting here is that there's actually a God and he's actually at work and he actually cares about people who don't care about him. And the plan is you and the plan is me. So how do we enter into this space of our neighborhood with a heart that is open to what the Spirit's doing and just invite him into that. What we would like to do is have you also sign up if you're going to participate in this. Mm -hmm. There's a way to do that. I'm going to botch this somehow online through the app. Event registration. Event registration to go in just and sign let us say, know. hey, I'm going to be in this. Send an email. I'm going to do this. We're going to do this. Our family's going to do this. And we want to, we want to see what God does in this and what stories emerge. Last thing, sorry. Yep. Um, 
I do realize that everybody engages with God differently. Um, some people have music, some people read the word. Um, so I did try to provide a tool for everyone. There's also doodle, um, pages out that have the words, uh, enter, listen, and engage out on the front kiosk. If you're someone who needs to have busy hands, um, while you're talking to God. So, um, utilize the tools that we gave you. So I want to ask you to close your eyes if you would. We're going to have a little time of prayer here. The reality is this is not just a little technique that we're trying to manufacture. Here's the reality. And Dana started us off with this. A beautiful way to begin our time together. She started by asking us to be present to God in this place. To breathe and be aware of God's presence here with us and in us. So what I'd like us to do for a moment is to think about, in particular, the place of our home and the faces and the names of the neighbors, the people nearby that we live near. We may not know their name but we know their face. What might God be up to in your neighborhood, in that space? Who might he be at work drawing to himself and you're invited in to join in that process? So Rachel is going to pray for the people in the spaces of your neighborhood and in the spaces you inhabit. Majest King, as we um, enter into a new adventure with you in a new season of more unknowns and more animosity, um, more triggers, I pray um, that the hearts and minds of our neighbors are softened. Uh, I pray for the people in our workplaces and in our schools, um, maybe even in the childcare you drop your kid off to. I pray um, that they have a new awareness of something missing. I pray that um, as they wrestle with life, just as we're wrestling with life, that they're open to receiving love. I pray that they um, crave your um, unknown extra thing that... Um, we we have in our hearts i pray that they are just so open in this next season god and that we're not afraid to enter into that and father i pray for each of us here today the people of oak hills people watching online that we might recognize that your spirit dwells with those who follow you that you are with us forever. 
And I pray today that we will recognize the rich and deep blessing that we have because we belong to you. We are your beloved. We are your beloved sons and daughters. We have been rescued and redeemed and forgiven and set free. And that does not give us an advantage. It gives us a calling. And God, I pray that you will continue to stir up in us this idea of being sent to now bless others, to pour our lives out for others, that they might see the wonder of who you are, your greatness, your majesty, your kingship, and the shalom that you bring when people give their heart to you. And so I pray that you will pour out, pour out on us the blessing of your presence, the reality that you are with us in all of the imperfections and our brokenness and so on, that we will recognize your presence with us individually and as a community and that through us, our world in this town, in our places, might experience your blessing. And we pray this in Jesus' name.